The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, revisiting the Kia crash on YouTube, automotive technician scholarships, and our special guest, Reggie Murphy, race car transport specialist. All that and a whole lot more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, Tim DeBesquale, a poster to the stars. Tim, how are you doing this week? I'm good, Bud. How are you? I'm doing great, and we've got a great show lined up. We're going we're gonna to review, uh, we talked about this on the radio program, but we're going to review the Kia Soul crash that happened in California. Oh, yeah. And what might behind, be behind all of that. Okay. And uh, that's something we'll keep people updated on, because it, it was a YouTube thing, and it caught a lot of people's attention, and, oh, and yeah. including Fox News and... You know, everybody else. So Yeah, the things that get caught on camera. Uh, yeah, on dashboard cameras. Mm-hmm. That, that would be a good series, just dashboard cameras. On, yeah. yeah, I think it is. Okay. <laughs> Figures, <laughs> I, I just thought of it now. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, things, uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, and it's uh, from being in the teaching end of things uh, with high school and the technical college, scholarships programs. Mm-hmm. You know, scholarship programs, how they can help students and uh, I just have my take on that, and not to upset anybody, but I, I think we need to put a little more effort into apprentice programs, scholarship programs, and that, because this new technology in vehicles is I've said running away. I have said it for years. Now, this last week, Bill showed us a video of a Kia Soul that crashed uh, on a highway in California, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, wheel and tire came off a truck. Right. And then there was all these, you know, I went online. We we watched the video, courtesy of Bill, last week. And, I, you know, I saw the thing get run over and it went up in the air and it flipped and it did its thing. Yeah. But then I went back and looked at it some more. And the first thing I noticed about the truck is the first thing we've had discussion with uh, Mike Robertson from Oakwood Tire and More so many times. You got to put the right tires and wheel offset on a vehicle. Right. Now, the guy driving this truck, I don't know whether he bought this truck, whether it was his truck, whether it came this way, or whether he just made a bad decision and put, you know, wheels that have way too much positive offset. Mm-hmm. I think I got that right. They're sticking out past the fender. Right, right. This is a dually pickup. Is it a dually? Yeah. I thought it was a single wheel. No, I think it was a dually. Okay. Well, regardless, the wheels are sticking out way, way too much. Right. And that puts a, an uneven load on the bearings so the wheel is no longer centered over the bearing now i'm i'm assuming that this particular truck i can't see whether it's two wheel or four wheel drive it's jacked up all that uh and i'm sure all of the the different things will come out as they uh you know investigate the accident mm-hmm. and stuff the driver managed to get the truck off the road without flipping the truck which i was really amazed that about. was a miracle itself then he got out of his truck and went to aid the uh the person who was driving the kia soul um but as I saw the wheel come back and hit the back of the Kia after the, the crash and all that, mm. still had the rotor attached to it. Oh, my. So that indicates to me that it wasn't lug nuts. It was the bearing that came apart. Mm-hmm. So that indicates to me that it was a, a, a bolt-on bearing. A lot of your trucks now, you don't use the old Timken, you know, inner and outer bearing in the seal and right. you pack it with right. grease and all. It's a, it's a 
a complete unit that you buy. Uh-huh. There still is an inner and outer bearing of, of sorts, but it's pressed into a cast housing, and it's fastened to the vehicle with four four bolts. Okay. And I think what happened is, you know, it stressed the bearing, the bearing came apart. The, the only thing that sticks in the back of my mind is how did the rotor clear the caliper? Oh, you know. You know, so, and, and I, the, the, you can't see, you know, the, the car that's got the camera on it, the GoPro camera or something, or mm-hmm. the on-dash camera was on a Tesla, I believe. Yeah. And it went by the truck as the truck went off the road. So you can't see whether the caliper flew off. I didn't see it in the wreck or anything. Mm-hmm. And, and like I say, it's a very interesting scenario of things. Yeah. But what I wanted to get at here is they actually test vehicles for this, how much the roof can support. That is amazing to me. So, for sure. uh, this particular vehicle earned a top safety pick rating from the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety for good in all categories, and it was able to withstand, it's a 2,800-pound vehicle. It was able to withstand a force of 17,800 pounds which is 6.2 times its weight Wow! on the roof. So that's when it flipped over in the air and then came down on its roof. That was the amount of the force. How do they determine that? That's, you got, you got to know. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to buckle in for that test, but I'm just saying that uh, the, you know, uh, it's the, meanwhile, the 2023 Honda HRV can resist 24,000 pounds. Wow. of force by flipping it over and putting it on its do roof. Do you see how important that is? And, and, you know, just recently there's been a thing about older F-350 trucks that could not withstand that force, and when they flipped over on their roofs, they collapsed and people died. There's some lawsuits about that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, with the older... Well, obviously different architecture, and you've got a much heavier vehicle. Yes, absolutely. So, no doubt. I do, I do not want to... You know, we always end the show with keep it shiny side up, <laughs> because yeah. I do not want to have the vet upside down. No, it's not, not at all. It's not going to take that kind of force mm-hmm. on the roof, but it brings into the importance of, you know, the windshield being an integral part of the body. Oh, yeah. And being, you know, if you're getting a windshield repaired, mm-hmm. you know, you... you you need to really check it out because it's got to have the proper glues and everything because it's part of the crash. Oh, it's uh, exactly. part structure. of the structure. Yeah, right. absolutely. So um, it's it's a very important thing. No, uh, no serious injuries were purpo- reported in the accident either. The uh, there was another one of these that happened with a Toyota Rav Four in Gary, Indiana, back in 2021. But uh, we're going to keep up with this because I want to find out exactly what happened. But part of that was just the poor choice of wheels and, uh, you know. Well, I've always said, but, you know, the manufacturers spend millions of dollars engineering every part of these vehicles. And then some guy with his credit card or his mom's credit card goes out and and buys some aftermarket part and slaps it on there. It's got nothing to do with the safety of the vehicle. Mm, Yeah, well, I, I... I've got to approach this carefully uh, because I, I I congratulate Ford for doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and they're creating a scholarship program for future automotive techs. Yeah, uh, that's great. Mm-hmm. And we could we could surplant this with Ford, Chevrolet, GM, Mercedes, Honda, whoever you want to put. Right. Five thousand dollars to per scholarship. Mm-hmm. I must have $15,000 worth of tools easily in one of my toolboxes, and I have three of them. Yeah. 
5,000 hours back in 1960 would have been about appropriate to train a tech back then. Right. Which is how much now? Mm. Oh, geez. Take a wild guess. I don't know. I didn't do the math. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking more like 25 grand. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and let, me, let me say why. And I, I'm not knocking Ford. This is a start. Yeah. Something that should have been started 10 years ago. Because exactly. what's happening right now is we've got these EVs and, and hybrids and stuff like that. Everybody's playing catch up. Oh, you're, you're not kidding. I, you know, I, 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 I'm just thinking back to the 60s, what you had to know to fix a car in the 60s, what you had to know to fix a car in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Then it, it all went crazy in the 80s. Yeah. You know, the emission stuff drove us nuts in the 70s. Mm-hmm. It was all Band-Aids. You're, you're trying to fix stuff. Then when they came out with fuel injection, it kind of cured the problems that we were trying to overcome with internal combustion engines back right. in the 70s, we were trying to pump more air into the exhaust, mm-hmm. which dilutes the exhaust. The solution to pollution is dilution, my dad <laughs> used to always say. So you're trying to pump air into the exhaust, and, you know, so it doesn't, when it goes out the pipe, it's cleaner. Yeah. And then we got into CATs, you know, catalytic converters, and that affected the, ins- the way the engines run. All I'm saying is it was a lot to keep up with mm-hmm. back in the 70s when I was in the dealership. So I'm thinking... I wish somebody would kind of grab it by the horns, and, and maybe the technical college system is, is doing, they're doing a good job with what they can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you from teaching an automotive course at a high school level, now it's not the, quite the same as far as budget and stuff, uh, you've got to have the most modern tools, the most up-to-date cars, and people that are interested in turning this into a career Right. In order to do a proper job, you can't do it with five thousand dollars. That that five thousand dollars is going to help the student if you put it in their pocket. Right. But as far as the programs themselves, they've got to be funded. Right. So I think the best way to pair up these programs is to pair them up with a technical school. Mm -hmm. So the school's got the brick and mortar and the, 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 you know, facility. And then be it Ford, Chevy, Mercedes, Honda, whatever, they bring in the -the up-to-the-minute cars, the -the up-to-the-minute dealer tools, and the -the up-to-the-minute technology to train these cars. I I think it's going to be a long time coming. Well, I don't don't see it ever happening anymore, being able to, one guy being able to fix all cars. You're going to have to go to a specific technician or a technical facility where they handle European cars, Japanese cars, Chinese cars, or, you know, the, the brands Ford, Chevrolet, or whatever. Um, they're going to have to keep their technology similar because you can't fill all the spots. Well, it's difficult to train people when the technology is still itself evolving. The battery technology, the, the computers that we, We've had guys from the dealership say that, you know, they're, they're doing this stuff 10 years out. You've got to have the technicians 20 years out. Right. You know, so we're, we're really behind the eight ball here. I congratulate them again for doing it, but uh, you really need to think about, you know, the facilities they're at, the tools, right. and what it costs to get into this for a career. Mm-hmm. And it's a six-figure career right now if you oh, play yeah. your cards right. Absolutely. So that's my take on scholarship. So I'm at a car show this week, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at pulley systems on, on the cars that are on display. Yeah. And you know how I feel about chrome and stuff like that that goes bad after a while There's oh yeah stuff where people have got washers in place to get the brackets to fit and all that mm-hmm. all that stuff that a lot of people wouldn't even notice you know looking looking in an engine compartment 
Right. But, you know, I'm looking at the length of the hose clamps and, you know, all the goofy things that go through my brain. Well, once you've been through this and built a few cars, these are the things that you do look well, at. How did you do this? How did that, you know, how did this guy do that? You yeah, know? but you, you look at a system that's been done by Concept One. Mm-hmm. It is machined from billet. It has got machine finishes on it or it's powder coated. You know, there's nothing that's going to flake off or anything like that down the line. Uh, it's got all the components all equally matched, your power steering, your compressors, all that type of stuff. And it just fits so perfectly. These people are so precise about what they do. And they put these together at their shop. Mm-hmm. After they've machined them, they actually put them on the engines to make sure they're right. And if something's not, not right, they catch it before it ever goes into production because they're producing it right there. Right. It's not hard to understand. You need a pulley system for the front of your car, and it's a Ford, Chevrolet, you know, LS, big block, whatever it might be Mm -hmm. um, in the Ford category or Chevy category. Reach out to these folks. Concept One Pulley Systems coming Georgia. Folks that answer the phone are the folks that are running the CNC machines and making this stuff every day. You got a particular application, they can handle it for you. Right. You need something specific or have a question, they can handle it. Well, I've been looking forward to this because I've been—I know this guy that's sitting across the uh, the bench from us here. Uh, I know him as a parts guy, but there's a lot more parts to this parts guy than we ever knew, and uh, that would be Reggie Murphy. Not exactly a household name, Tim. No, not exactly. But I'm reminded of the Jackson Brown version of the song "Stay," just uh-huh. a little bit longer where he talks about the roadies. First guy's there, last guy's out. And you, you, are, you are one of those guys, Reggie. First of all, welcome into Bud's Garage. Thanks for having me. Overdrive, the podcast. Appreciate it, thanks. Tell us a little bit about what started the whole car thing for Reggie Murphy. Well, I was, uh, <clears throat> as a little kid, I lived here in Gainesville for five years, and then we decided to move down to the country uh, on 211 down in Chestnut Mountain. And uh, just there was a dirt track above the house. Me and some friends of ours would go up and sneak into the fence and, no. No, <laughs> and look through the wooden slats and watch these cars come by and all this rumbling. I'm like, this is pretty cool, until they put me up on the wooden fence there and said, look through that crack. When they come around, I'm like, okay. As soon as they come around, it's like, wow, all this dirt and dust. with dirt and, <laughs> and dust and all that. You go home dirtier than the, than the racers, yeah. Exactly. So uh, that was the first. But really, the, the big thing was <clears throat> when they built Road Atlanta in 70. Um, hearing all this whine and loud pitch, deep throated cars go around that place. I'm like, man, that's pretty interesting. I wonder if I can get in there well back then you couldn't get in there you know it was pretty tied down you know fencing and all this right, it was a little yeah. bit different than the dirt track across up the, from the house so um my first introduction to road atlanta was our scout troop was asked to go and clean the bathrooms and they would donate money to our scout troop sure yeah. and i said this is where i want to be i wanted to be a race car driver first after all that and um so when I was 15, 16, um, I asked her to come down and work, um, maybe parking or something right. over the vents. And they said, yeah, we can do that. So it turned into a little bit more and more. Um, the next summer, they would uh, let me sell tickets to the grandstands and just got to know the management, you know, very well. And uh, 
likable guy I am, I get along with everybody. And when somebody asks me to do it, I do it right. You know, I don't finagle around or I, I just concentrate, you know, when I'm asked to do something. So it turned into um, me liking it so well that um, I met a guy by the name of Doc Bundy. Yeah, here from buddy. Gainesville, Georgia. There you go. And he kind of took me under his arm to explain what racing was really about, what sports car racing was really about. And I, you know, I was very interested. So as I was um, going to Gainesville Junior College, back then it's Gainesville Junior College, it's called something else now, Oakwood College or something. North Georgia College. North Georgia there College. you go. Yeah. So um, I met up with these guys that were the mechanics for the driving school at Road Atlanta, and they hooked me up in the summertime working with um, the Camel GT promotions tent, helping set it up at the racetrack. So I followed that around two summers. And when I finished at Gainesville Junior, the marketing firm that did the execution for uh, uh, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Tobacco and the Camel GT, they asked would I come on and do some couponing and sampling markets with them. So I'm like, yeah, cool. So the truck driver came up to me, we were somewhere, and he said, hey, Reggie, I'm thinking about leaving next year. Would you uh, be interested in taking on this job? And I'm like, well, I don't know how to drive a truck. He goes, I'll teach you in one day. (laughs) (laughs) In one day, okay. One day. So uh, it turned into, um, like I say, Got my license, got grandfathered in. In one day? And Well, it took another day to get my license. Oh, okay. <laughs> learning how to drive. <laughs> but no, um, that's a lot that led into it right there. And like I say, as I worked with R.J. Rose Tobacco, those two years of taking around the uh, Camel GT promotions tent and, and meeting race car drivers and you know other truck drivers, I'm like, man, it sure would be nice to have a job in, in racing. Well, another marketing firm asked me to come and work with them, um, Promark, and they did a lot of uh, Nissan promotions, racing promotions, Trans Am races, right. off-road races. Mm-hmm. So it just got to be a little bit more of, besides sports car racing, I was seeing other stuff I never saw before, and that was just exciting to me. So um, a buddy of mine that worked with my best man uh, in my wedding, still he and I talk, and uh he found an advertisement for a truck driver they were looking for for All-American Racers, and that's called Dan Gurney's All-American Racers. Wow. And that was the ultimate. Some country but hillbilly from Gainesville, Georgia, goes all the way out to California, and none of his family has ever moved outside. And works for Dan Gurney. And worked for Dan Gurney through the GTU uh, day the last year of the GTU car, which was a Toyota Celica, and then through the GTO days of three years of the Toyota Celica, and then on to the GTP era, which multiple championships I was involved in. Oh, and yeah. that has been the most exciting thing to me and blessed thing to me. Everywhere I've gone in racing, we it's been a championship team. I don't know why, but it's just been that way to me, and I've been very blessed to have that happen. Well, because you're the kind of person that applies himself, and, uh, you know, you're attracted to people that apply themselves, and, uh, you know, so it makes, it makes sense that they would read out, reach out to you and want to have you involved with what you do because, 
uh, people see when you're at the track. People are people are watching people. The teams are watching team members and looking for new people and stuff all the time. So that that makes sense to me. How long at this point in time had you been driving the rig? Were you driving the rig for Dan Gurney's team also? Yes. Yeah. My, I got my license in uh, 1982. Mm-hmm. So this is my 40th year of being behind a, a rig, whether it be on the marketing side of motorsports or the racing side of motorsports. Now, the one-day lesson that you got, the two-day lesson that you got, how did it compare to the, the real life of getting in that rig and going cross-country? Well, my first trip actually was from here at Road Atlanta to Riverside, California. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, a, a big learning curve right there. But still to this day, the only difference is between 82 and 22 is there's so much more vehicles and people and cars and trucks on the road, which, you know, after so long, it's like, I just want to <clears throat> get off the road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Them get off the road. I mean, and now I have two grandkids and I, you know, I'm 60 years old. I just, it's time to calm down a little bit and pay back what I missed out on when I was out on the road with, you know, sure. being around my children, you know, my kids. But it's a glamorous life, isn't it? <laughs> well, it can be. Like I said, I've I've been blessed. Like I said to my mother, said if you can see this world in someone else's nickel, do it. And this yeah. job has provided that for me. I've been with the IndyCar stuff, you know, with Panos, where we had to travel to Europe, and then Le Mans. I was on the the ninety nine uh, in nineteen ninety nine team, um, which I'll. Uh, There'll be a little story down the way because I have multiple stories, as you know, 40 years of them. So, so we're gonna we're gonna have a long time here, but not today. <laughs> we'll get to those things. But um, just um, just the being able to be blessed and, and see those places, you know, Germany, Australia, Japan. Um, I, I, I I never thought in my wild years I would even be able to travel like that and or be on a podcast yeah so when they would send you to europe and australia and all these exotic places did they send the trucks to or did they use other equipment over there yes we always rented other equipment over there we would okay. ship the stuff uh-huh. uh over and then we would buy, uh, rent european uh trucks i see uh, i remember 99 we rented a, a uh, truck and trailer from the dams team and it had glass sides on it i'm like this is going to be a real thing like being a a goldfish in a glass bowl going down the road because that's what you know in motorsports and in marketing it's all the it's all the labeling it's all Mm -hmm. the marketing so they wanted they wanted you to be able to see the car that was in the trailer well they did but it was the only thing available at that time you know that was available to be rented because we actually went down to paul ricard and tested um uh, did a 24 hour test 12 and 12. you know one day 12 next day 12 and so we had to uh, you know it was just it was just odd you know it just it's like a show uh, truck a trailer with you could just go down the road and have anything in it. And, you know, that was pretty unique because I'd never, I'd never had that where people just going right by you. Yeah, like, and, and looking at, yeah, right. Looking at everything. That's so. cool. Now, th- tell us about the first time you went to Europe and had to jump into a truck 
and drive on the opposite side of the road? Um, it was a, a little different. Uh, you had to think. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the turns were a little different, you know. You, you had, had to shift with opposite. your left hand, though, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, well, these were automatics, though. Oh, okay. That was a good thing. They were automatics, at least. And so uh, didn't have to do too much shifting, because if I had to do shifting and try to figure out all the roads, <laughs> oh, we might have been in trouble. And, uh, well, the next year they decided they would take the American uh, tractors and trailers and ship them over. And that was the worst thing they could have really done because they ended up tearing up toll booths, ripping up the sides because over in Europe, the trucks and trailers aren't as wide as they are here in the States. Oh. So it would go up on the curbing of the toll booth and the mirrors would actually clip the toll, toll booth. booth itself. And then you're on the wrong side, side. of the truck for the toll booth guy <laughs> or lady exactly whichever well you know you, but it's things you don't you don't consider no you don't and it's like i say it's it's nice to have experienced that you know because uh, i actually thought after that that hey i wouldn't mind coming in and working for a team in europe but yeah i sure do enjoy georgia a lot yeah mm -hmm. in our states the land of convenience so <laughs> you go from you go from gurney's experience and and how do you how do you keep branching out? Well, um, I was there at Gurney's for seven years, and um, my mother's health got bad, and I'm the only boy of four sisters, mm -hmm. you know. And so uh, I asked my wife, hey, I think we need to move back to Georgia because, you know, my mother's not going to be able to do a lot of things, and my sisters are all out in their profession. And you're living in California. And living in California. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. So um, moved back here in... Um, is it uh, 95 and then 97 or 96 Don Panos started up his sports car team they actually started up in Europe in 96 and came over and brought the car back over here mm -hmm. because the car was built by Reynard and in, in Europe and so I started with them in 97 with an old team manager that was the week um, competed against when I was at Gurney's, um, Tony Dow. Yep. And he mm -hmm. was the Jaguar team manager. And, and so he actually became the team manager here for Panos. And that's when that started in 97, worked on the GT1 car, the Batmobile, as they call it, and then went to the open top car uh, in 99. And so you were involved even during the hybrid years? Uh, well, Sparky. Yes, yeah. yeah, Sparky. Yes, yeah. that yeah. little bit. That we only ran it a couple of times over here. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, and then the Batmobile, the GT1 car. Um, so that just turned into bigger and better things, uh, other series, because Don actually bought a chassis manufacturer called G-Force out of England, out of Sussex, excuse me, and um, when I found that, that out, I'm like, that's my next deal here at Panos. So I ended up getting that job to manage uh, all the parts and pieces and manufacturing of the chassis because we did, we started manufacturing the chassis in uh, Brazelton in 2000. Right. Yeah. And so the, because the change of the car actually, 
the they try to change the car after so many years because the cars just keep getting used and the tubs get you know fragile or they just get older and so they you know bring out a new car like every five four years five years and so it was it was neat to be able to go to the racetrack still travel but also be the parts guy that people called to order up anything that was used on the uh, Panos G-Force chassis and multiple championships right, yeah. were in there with um, Chip Ganassi. Right. Um, we won with Penske, uh, uh, the 500, and uh, um, Ari Leindyke in the G-Force, um, Buddy Rice with uh, yeah. uh, Ray Hall Letterman uh, racing. So it just turned into more and more. And... Um, when they decided to lay off a bunch of people in 07, I was on that first uh, layoff, which... Uh, were they was, going to a new chassis? Was that the reason? Well, they actually... Actually, that's when Champ Car and the IRL were battling. Oh, okay. And so what happened was they decided at Panos that we, that we would build Champ Cars instead of going with the IRL uh, cars. So what happened with that... The following year, they merged, or they didn't merge. Champ Car went away. Those cars were null and void then. Right. And all these people had bought those cars, the Champ, the Champ Cars that we produced here in Browselton, Georgia, with Panos. So that just turned into a bad deal. They lost a lot of business um, after that. And so I had I had uh, met a gentleman that. Was driving a bus for, um, oh, what's his name? Panther Racing. I forget the, the owner of the team's name, Barnes. Mm-hmm. And so um, I got back into marketing after that with just doing work with Delta Airlines and Coca Cola with this marketing firm called Ignition out of Atlanta because he, he drove the bus for the owner of Ignition, which was a part sponsorship of Panther Racing, the gentleman was that was the owner of Ignition. And so this gentleman invited me over. He was a transportation manager also. So um, it turned into me just getting back into the marketing side, other marketing sides, you know, that I'd ne- not ever uh, done because most of my marketing was done in sports marketing, you know, with racing and, and other things. But this was flat out marketing promotions, you know, on-site giveaways and stuff like that with Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola and multiple other, uh, you know, clients that they had. And so I've been with this gentleman uh, in the off season since 09 because I still did my racing after, you know, after Panos. I uh, went and worked with um, uh, Tony again at, right. at, at Taffel. And then from Taffel, I went to um, Taffel. I went to uh, can't remember the, the, the. But I've been up to let's say up to 2019. I still worked on race teams, but I would go and help this marketing firm at the end of the year, do whatever they needed to do. And still this date. I'm doing it because the company I work for, uh, Evolve Concepts, is a marketing, promotions, entertainment, and motorsports logistics company. And so I managed that side of the logistics company for 
two sports car teams that are in IMSA doing the Porsche Carrera Cup. So I still go to the races to this day. Right. And so yeah. my involvement has been with racing, like I say, for 40 years. Any difference between sports marketing and what you do for this company now and, and the, the racing marketing? A lot of the same. A lot of the it's same. A lot of the same parts thing. and pieces. Yeah, a lot of the same. A lot, you know, it's it's all marketing and advertising. You know, they're both in it together, and uh, you know, you're 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 giving something. You know, you're entertaining people. That, it's all that's, entertainment. It's yeah, all right. entertainment, mm -hmm. whether you think it is or not. When you do like a beverage sampling, that's entertainment. You're entertaining someone with a drink. You know, as a sample or whatever, and we do, we have multiple beverage accounts that uh, Evolve Concepts do, does, and so it's it's all just it's entertainment. It's got to be great fun because it, you're giving stuff away. People love that, so it's always a carnival atmosphere, right? Exactly. Wherever you're at. Exactly. Unlike being in a automotive service position where. Everyone that's coming to you is a little bit upset, upset, right? Because they got to spend money and nobody's giving them a sample of a cold drink. True. Excuse me. Well, that you know, I, I'm, I'm just thinking, what better guy to be out there entertaining people? I mean, you've got the stories, you've got the the networking of people. Let me go back to the Gurney days. All right, your first trip from Road Atlanta to Riverside, California. Did you go with some of the other truckers? Because, no. I mean, there's no cell phones. There's no, there's no, you had the radios, I guess, the CBs. Yeah, that was pretty much the only communication and, and traffic and find out roads closed or, or something like that. Um, my first trip away from the other truck driver, I was going home to get my um, luggage and stuff. Hmm. And I decided to take this little side road. Well, that was a little mistake. Yeah. I learned my first lesson about low clearances. Uh, <laughs> a tree, a big old white oak was uh, on that road, and it had a limb hang out. And uh, this truck that was driving had two stacks. And so oh. when I went underneath that limb at like 35 miles an hour, it goes thunk. It only bent it back. Thank goodness it didn't rip it off or anything. So I just was able to push it back up and bend it out a little bit and put another hose clamp on it, and I was good to go. No, <laughs> but that was the first learning of don't go there. Yeah, better that than a bridge. <laughs> exactly. Right. Bridges don't give it off. When, when when you were driving, now I, I got to compare this to to some of the stories that Tim has told on on Bud's Garage, the radio program, about where where you drove. Pretty cool trucks, yeah. for the most part. Mm -hmm. I rode to Indy with you. Was it Indy or I don't remember where it was. It was um, Nashville. Nashville, mm -hmm. yeah, for an Indy car race. Exactly. And we had an interesting time at the bar with microbrews. I'll, I'll never forget that story. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell that we'll, another we'll, time. <laughs> no, we'll tell it in a little bit here. Did the did the other truckers give you a hard time because you had the fancy trucks? <sighs> I don't. I never got ribbed or anything. What we used to rib our other truck driver, he was uh, a little older than me. He was probably 10, 15 years older than Go me. Go easy now. Go easy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I get there, and I have this nice new 
Peterbilt, the helmet-looking one, you know, where you uh, pull the right, front right, up right, and it's yeah. a cab over, and it looks like a football helmet. And so I'm looking over at his truck, and it's an old Peterbilt <laughs> square box, mm-hmm. probably a 1970 or something. But he loved that truck. He did not want a new truck. He told Dan Gurney, I am not driving a new truck. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Because he had had this thing all souped up with uh, marine injectors and all this hot rod stuff, and he would leave me, <laughs> you know. I mean, we'd go down the road, and he'd be doing 90 miles an hour, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that if something blows, you know. Yeah, I right. got all this equipment back mm-hmm. here and race cars. Mm-hmm. So, mm, I'm just going to take it easy. And that's been, you know, my thing is don't go. My motto is five over, ten if you have to. But, right. But five over, you know, Knock on wood, I've not had an accident. I've come close a couple of times, but never had uh, an accident in a big truck trailer. Yeah, that's good. Things can get ugly pretty quick out there. Yeah, this day and time with all the wrecks you see, you know, mm-hmm. even dri- driving down to Atlanta, I mean, oh, yeah. there's two or three wrecks a day, you know, right. with trucks involved. But that's because people are just getting crazy. Right. They're over in the left-hand lane. I, I saw one guy in the darn uh, carpool lane right. just hauling butt. Right, right. That's where I'm... Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the ELD when these guys are getting close to running out of time and they have... They have a destination that's not too far away, and they're trying to get there before the yeah, truck ELDs. shuts down. Yeah, so those are another story. That's a we'll whole, go on another right, story. That's a whole tell, tell us about that. Well, the, the government, or sorry, uh, somebody come up with this <laughs> uh, um, electronic logging device, mm. and back in the day, you could finagle a little paper logbooks, you know. But this day and time, you ain't getting away with nothing because it is electronically um, charged. And when that truck starts, it knows where you're at. Your boss knows where you're at. And I tell my boss, you know, every once in a while, he says, I saw you stopped at a casino. I'm like, well, yeah, it's the safest place to have a truck and trailer, especially a race trailer or a marketing trailer. It's all, you know, decked out with all this, uh, you know, wrap and all that. I've heard horror stories about you know trucks and truck stops getting just hit and nobody says a word and so but you know he just ribs me you know i've been with him so long um but uh they know they know how fast you're going how much steering input you put in how much brake you're putting in and they know your speed limit and they have it where um they set a speed for the company that can be whatever the transportation manager wants to set it at uh, up to 13 miles an hour because 18 miles an hour you're getting your license pulled if you get pulled over that's a super speeder in in Mm -hmm. many cases and they're not going to put up with it they're going to take your license for six months so and that's your license license mm -hmm. i tried to explain that to my students when you get a cdl when i was teaching it doesn't matter what you do in either vehicle doesn't matter Mm -hmm. exactly it does not matter you're you're not going to get a regular license until that that uh, that DOT person says, yeah, you can have back your license, but if it gets suspended, you just got to, it, it's things you don't even want to go. It's somewhere you don't even want to go, like right. DUIs. If a gentleman has a DUI and he wants to get back in the truck and drive, there's so much that you have to go through and, and to pay. Why? I don't get why somebody wants to. 
Right, right. You know, get behind and, and, and have a DUI. But that's, that's people, people, some people are just dumb. Just like dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get behind the wheel drinking. Yeah, absolutely. The, what have you seen? I know I've noticed it just, uh, you know, a little traveling across the country here and there. And when I was towing a lot of race cars back and forth to the Carolinas, um, people don't seem to have any courtesy anymore. Um, uh, I see truckers. I don't know if it's a different generation or, you know, even even the truckers, you, you flash your lights when they clear you and they just keep on trucking. Nobody thanks you. Or, and I don't I don't. I, and people don't seem to understand that that thing is 80,000 pounds. Yes. You know, you're in a whatever, three, 4,000 pound vehicle and, and people don't get it. And I, I've always contended that to get a driver's license, you should have to ride with a trucker for a day just to see what life is like up there compared to in your car. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, definitely a, a difference. Um, it's hard to stop 80,000 pounds. Um, and just even if it's not eighty thousand, I mean, if you got a half a load in a, in a truck and it shifts, that momentum of that shift, if it's middle and it goes forward, it's just going to speed that vehicle up. It's like hitting grass, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with uh, you know, a race car. It's going to pick up speed. Pick there up is, speed, yeah. there's, you know, so no, a lot of people don't understand that that it takes, you know, probably fifty yards you know, to even slow it down, you know, to get it to come down slow enough so you can control it. You know, 80 yards is, is you know, what you try to, you know, keep back from uh, people, you know, just to make sure if something were to happen that you're able to control it, you know. And that's why I say, I, I have, I have uh, my feeling is that because I put myself in my mind about five, five over, 10 at the max, and that's going downhill. Right, that's yeah. not 10 miles an hour on a flat. I can control a vehicle at that speed, but at 10, 15, 20, if you have blowout on the front uh, a tire of a tractor, it's tough to control it at that speed. I mean, even at buddy of mine at, uh, at Extreme Speed Motorsports, uh, we were going, uh, leaving uh, West Palm, and uh, he had a front right blow. But fortunately, he had slowed down to answer the phone, you know. And, oh, and I noticed know. that about some truck drivers. Oh, you yeah. know when they're on the phone because they're going 65, yeah. and all of a sudden they're going 55. Uh-huh. You know, right, he just right. know that something's crazy. And, and they're wandering. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're wandering. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, that that is, like I say, the biggest thing is just – People just, they don't understand. And the courtesy is not there like it used to be. Like when you, when you go past somebody, you know, you flick your, you know, you flick your lights or, you know, you thank them by turning on your hazards, you know, letting you know and stuff like that, that you acknowledge them. Well, the acknowledgement's not there anymore since the phone has come out. That's your communication now. You don't find a lot of truck drivers using CBs. I still use it to this day just for the traffic purpose because I'm not going to sit there and try to prepare myself while I'm driving to look and see, oh, there's an accident. Yeah, right. Right. You get it on the CB from mm-hmm. a lot of truck drivers, but there's 
you don't find you don't find many trucks with CBs in it anymore. No, really, I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Hmm. Well, there's a language barrier out there with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, I'm yeah. not going to say, but yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, there's a language barrier, and so I think that those people up in Chicago and you know, and down in Miami and out in LA, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, one thing they don't know how to use it just the other day right. a gentleman that i was working with on the marketing side at evolve concept he had been driving for like four years and he we put a cb in so he and i could communicate going down the road with this sports car team because the sports car team guys wanted us to be able to talk sure instead of the phone and so um we install it and he looks at me and he goes reggie I don't know how to operate one of these. I never have. <laughs> and it's just like that. There are not many out there that, that have the ambition to go and get one mm-hmm. and it be yours. You know, right. back in the day, some people that you rent a truck, you pull your CB out. And you put, you put a with, CB in there. And you right. take it in your luggage. Right, right, right. You know, yeah. back in the day, if we had to, if we had to get a rent a truck or, or if one of the trucks broke down, you would take that CB out and put it in to use it because that's what it was back in the day. Sometimes that CB could keep you going. It'd be the only thing that could keep you going at 3 o'clock in the morning when there's not much traffic. You find one person that you can talk to and all of a sudden you're awake again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that doesn't happen anymore. No. It it just, you don't get the, the people just don't use them as they they did back in the, Mm -hmm. you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. Right. So how do you meet a deadline? Racing is all about deadlines, you know. You you gotta gotta have the car somewhere. You've well, you have better have a good chief mechanic. Well, that's, that's <laughs> and a good team manager. Well, but it in, in the truck, I mean, how do you stop from getting delayed? Tim has talked about you know having a load to deliver that's refrigerated or something like that, and you know yeah, you're up against sensitive. a timer, yeah. And, and well, you, like I say, you just hope that you have a, a, a good team manager that uh, that understands time frames of what it takes to get the car ready i you know sometimes it is what it is if you were over at, at the shakedown uh machine you know the dyno or right, something yeah, that right. it took a little longer because they found a problem you just have to make up that time it's harder now with the elds electronic logging device back in the day with the paper logs it was a little different you could you could fudge a little mm-hmm. um but this day and time, it's it's tough. You've got to be on it, and uh, like I say, hope that you have a good chief mechanic and a good uh, team manager that is pushing to get it out the door. But like I say, it is what it is sometimes, um, and they understand you might be a little late, and and that's the that's the biggest thing. You making me late, I'm not. I can't rush. No, I'm not going to do 100 miles an hour, no, mm-hmm. and I can't make up that time now, but I will try to and do my best by not getting a hotel room, sleeping in the truck. You get mm-hmm. you get up, and you get going. Right. You know, not like if you're staying at a hotel. You just kind of lollygag around, right. get up, and you can go. But when there's a time-sensitive deal, you've got to really think about, okay, it's going to take me another hour to get ready if I'm in a hotel room because mm-hmm. I want to eat breakfast. Well, sure. if I'm in that truck already, I already got stuff 
that I picked up the night before to make my breakfast that next morning mm. or to, you know, have something. When I get there, that's how you, you make up time is not, not going and getting a hotel room. It's just like when I, I actually had to um, go from here to the shop in Columbus, Ohio, where we were doing the logistics work for that sports car team. And um, I was right on time, time-wise, but if I would have gone to the hotel that night, I would have had to spend my 10 hours you know, at, at rest. Well, I'm already there. I got to the place that night. I didn't have to worry about getting up. I was already there. So it was like I was getting the day off, but I still had to help unload the truck, mm -hmm. the trailer. So you just got to be smart in many ways how to handle that. Go ahead and get there. You know, um, if you're right on your time frame, whereas if you if I'd go, like I said, to the hotel room, I'd have had to rest for 10 hours and they wouldn't have gotten that uh, that equipment. Yeah, because you can't start that truck back up. Exactly, because of that ELD nose mm -hmm. yeah. when you're starting up and you have to log in. And if you don't log in, it's a violation. Right. And that's how now it's a lot of violations are being traced is through this, you know, uh, ELD. And the government or the state will send you a, um, a, um, a little note Summons saying, whatever, yeah. just a little note saying, you had a violation this this on this day, blah blah. So they know because that stuff is not only going to your transportation manager; it's going to a it's going to a collection device within the state somewhere. And so they can do affects. auditing there right. instead of coming out like they did in the old day to do an audit. They would personally do audits. Now they don't do it because it's all electronically computed and then they have that information and they can do all their auditing from within an office instead of having to travel around. Now you have logistics people and team managers and stuff, you know, trying to map out where you're going, when you're going to get there, taking care of the, the race car. Who's taking care of the truck? When, did, when does a truck ever have a chance to, you know, get, get gone through and, and serviced and all that kind of stuff? Well, is that all on you? Yeah, it's, 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 it's Yes, it, it is. It's it's on the truck driver to um, to keep up with the maintenance, checking mm -hmm. your tires, checking the oil, checking the axle oils, crawling under to look and see if you got any axle leaks, you know, seal leaks. So it is on the truck driver. In some cases, in marketing, it's just regular marketing promotions. It's a little different because guys now come in and jump in the truck and go to an event, drop the trailer off, go to a hotel, wait for two days, pick that uh, that uh, assets up and take it to whether it goes back to the shop or whatever. Now with this, we have a in-house um, fleet manager. So, and then we're also on a service contract with Penske. So we have all our equipment going in four times a year to be serviced and maintained. So you, you're lucky if you have that. Right. But otherwise, no, it falls to the truck driver because you're the guy driving it. You need to be checking all the air pressures and fluid levels all across Does, the board. Can ELD keep track of that, nope. whether you've done nope. service or anything? Okay. No, nope. no. Nope. So you they can, know when it's going to the 
<laughs> yeah, Penske right. or whatever. Well, sure, they yeah, they would. <laughs> Heading down the road, um, you talk about speed, you talk about hills and things like that. I just got to ask, because sometimes I drive by these things, and I'm thinking, my God, if I was driving a truck, would I want to go up that, that runaway truck ramp? <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't go that fast, so I am never knock on wood. You never run away. Never run away. I've run by something before, but I've never run up on a uh, a ramp. You know the gravel ramp. You know any guys that have done that? I don't know anybody that has had that. I've, really? Okay. Yeah. I've, uh, the only thing in racing that I've heard is people getting too close to a, a ditch, uh, you know, on the right side, uh, up going up uh, the mountains, and it fall over against the hill, the trailer and truck itself, because it's such a pitch that they've got, probably fell asleep. And this is back in the day. I, I've heard about, you know, it's probably been 10, 15 years ago. He just got too close to the right-hand side, and there was a little ditch before, you know, right next to the uh, mountain itself hillside and it just kind of went on over just, barely went over it didn't do a lot of damage it did just you know uh you know just panels didn't do any damage to the equipment inside right but just to the panels just they got lean, lucky just lean it up against the mountain and let it go <laughs> little <sleep> rest <laughs> that's the only thing got a few stories um, I've got a few. All right. Um, We're a podcast. <laughs> Whoop it on us. Let's talk about uh, Nashville. Do you remember we, we had, we had a, oh, uh, help me out, George? George was the, um, he was the. He, he was the father of the two race car drivers. Whose names I should both know oh, because Dario Franchitti, Franchitti, there you the go. Franchitti boys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We showed up in Nashville. He was there. We went golfing. I drove his golf cart because I don't, you know, we'd have to be there for three days for me to to golf. Yeah. Um, and we wound up in a in a bar just to have, you know, at the golf course to yeah. have something to eat. Yeah. And somebody asked the waiter for a microbrew, and. <laughs> Must have been the first day he got his apron, but uh, do you remember the response to microbrews? I don't remember that now. He started bringing out these little oh, bottles. Oh, the little bottles, yeah. yeah. The little tasters or yeah, whatever. He thought we wanted little little tiny bottles of beer. <laughs> That's when the, That's you know, the micro- craft beer started, yeah, you know, yeah. all right. this stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's some stories. How many of those does it take to get a buzz? We didn't, we didn't get there. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't have any, they didn't they have have any micro beers. All they had was micro liquor. We weren't doing the micro liquor. Uh-huh. But it was interesting uh, talking to George about, you know, his Scottish accent and his Italian name. And, uh, exactly. And everybody thinks this. that that is uh, you know, Scottish, but, you know, it's actually, like you say, it's Italian. Yeah. So, surprising to a lot of people. Well, it was from World War II that uh, his family left. They had an ice cream business, and they left and, and moved and, uh, you know, wound up in, in Italy. In Italy, yeah. Yeah, and with a Scottish accent. Yeah. Anyway, long wow. story. Wow. Some other stories from, from the truck driver's side. Well, um, you know. Um, How about some interesting people that you've met along the way? Oh, well. Especially in Very, I tell you what, very interesting thing. Um, happened to me when I was um, with the Panos and the IndyCar uh, program. A gentleman, one of the engineers from England, came over 
because he was helping out with um, uh, Alancer Jr.'s team. That mm -hmm. was, um, give me a second, I'll tell you the team owner, Rick Gallus out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. The engineer wanted to, he had never been across the country in, in the United States, and we were going from Richmond to uh, Kansas City. And um, we, uh, we kind of got there early. I think we got there on like a Tuesday, and we were thumbing through the, you know, the local entertainment paper. You know, you see what's going on, these dates in, in town. So we saw, we were sitting at a bar, downtown uh, uh, Kansas City and looked at a few deals and we saw where Leonard Skinner, Deep Purple, and Ted Nugent were playing at the amphitheater. And I go, hey man, you ever been to a concert? He goes, no, what's it like? <laughs> That's an That's engineer for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is an engineer because they, they're so into what's in front of them. They never get out to see the other part of the world sometimes. So it didn't surprise me. So we were sitting there and um, it was, you know, 10, 10, 11 o'clock. And all of a sudden we see these people come through the front door. And I'm like, man, that looks like Leonard Skinner, the guitar player. That looks like the bass player from Leonard The bass player from Leonard Skinner comes over, sits down over on the left-hand side of the bar. And I knew it was him. And I, and I poked Andy, and I said, Andy, that's the Ronald Leonard Skinner group right there. He goes, who? <laughs> okay, we'll get to that. So um, the bartender goes over, gives him a drink. And um, it, it must have been a Long Island iced tea because he sure did pour in a lot of different uh, liquors. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, so he goes over, and uh, the uh, Leonard Skinner uh, bass player gives him a CD. And I go, and he walks back over to us and he says, you guys want anything else to drink? And I go, by the way, what did he just give you? Is that a CD for music played by Leonard Skinner? And he goes, yeah, how'd you know? I go, I know Leonard Skinner. So what happened was it turned into myself and Andy buying him a drink. Right. And, and all of a sudden turns into he comes over, sits next to us, and asks us what we're doing in town. And it was just kind of ironic. They had just been to do a charity uh, concert at the Petty Compound mm -hmm. in, uh, in North Carolina. And we at Elan. At, at Victory Junction. We, at yeah. Victory Junction. Us at Elan had been doing aerodynamic work with them. So it was like perfect just to start talking with him about, oh, yeah, well, we work with, uh, you know, Petty Enterprises on their uh, uh, aerodynamic work. And I go, yeah, we're in town for the IndyCar race. And he lit up like his eyes, really? I go, yeah, would you like to come out to the uh, to the race, you know, uh, this weekend? He goes, man, I'd love to. We're only here for three days. He goes, well, how about y'all? Would y'all like to come and go to the, uh, oh, the concert man. and be backstage and come into the trailers? and meet all the bands. And I go, you just tell me what time we need to be there. Yeah. So, matter of fact, the, the weird, other weird thing was his, the, the, uh, their manager was from Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. So it made it a little bit easier for him and, you know, to say, hey, these guys from Georgia, they this and this and that. And they gave us 10 
third row seats and backstage passes. And they said, just show up about noon because they, the first band, Deep Purple, started playing at noon. I really didn't want to go and hang out with them too much. But uh, Ted Nugent was the next band. So we got to go in and meet Ted Nugent. And Ted Nugent was, is a, a race. He racing, you know, he, he likes racing. Yeah, and man. also, it was just like a perfect day. And I took, I took the team with me, uh, Rick Gallus's team. You know, their engineers, their mechanics. And they were just, they couldn't believe it that we were getting, we were going to meet Ted Nugent and his band and then Leonard Skinner. And you're going to go backstage. And when we got there, they go, Hey, we've been waiting on you guys. Just go down there right behind the stage and park. Oh, like, cool. <laughs> I mean, we were less than 100 yards from the stage. It was just, you know, one of the exciting moments. But the exciting moment was um, I took the engineer and I said, hey, let's go backstage first because it gets crazy. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of good-looking girls out there. And so I won't tell you what happens at the concert, but it's uh, kind of fun for the guys. Yeah. And so I told Andy, I said, Andy, watch. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And sure enough, he goes, I can't believe this. He goes, this has been my most exciting time of my life. And I go, <laughs> I go you know what? Me too. That had to be the, the most, uh, I don't know, just something you never think that you would be able to do but it's Reggie and Reggie gets along with everybody and I, I, I can talk to I can talk to a mule you know and I can talk to the smartest person in the world or the the richest person in the world that's been something about me that I've been blessed with is the gift of gab I guess what everybody says and just being able to talk to people even when I was in France um, with Panos the the uh, French guy said, this is how you're going to communicate with the guys when you go get parts and pieces. Take this notebook, draw a picture. Show what it goes on, you will get it. Sure enough, it's just the communication in, in, in just, you send the wrong person out, it, it could be, it could be a disaster. Yep. But when you're patient enough, and me not knowing a hillbilly thing of, of, of uh, French besides jambon or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that was, you know, ham. So it had to be a food. <laughs> Thank God we had the two French guys on our team that when we go out to dinner or go somewhere, they could at least make sure we got things right, you know, <laughs> because you don't want to send your food back, you know, at any restaurant oh, no. out there, oh, no. especially no. Americans. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like I say, being able to do that, that, and meet the people that I've met, uh, David Letterman, uh, you know, whoever thought I'd meet David Letterman, you know, mm. he's, you know, just kind of a ho hum guy, you know. Um, I'm, I'm at, and it's I've, it's funny when you when you say that because here you got the bass player who's all jacked up about going to an IndyCar race. And you're jacked up about going to a concert. It's like you're trading worlds. Exactly. And and you realize once you're in each other's worlds, it's just what you do. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Right. Yeah. It was just like I said. That was a. That's been my biggest story. And to this day, the guys when I go around at the IndyCar races, uh, a couple of them work for um, AJ Fort Racing. 
They, they say, man, Reggie, that was the best of my life career, you know, go to, man. And, I, and they tell the other guys a story about, you know, how we met Leonard Skinner and, and got to go and hang out and, and drink. But the one thing about Leonard Skinner, after the accident, um, because I was, I was puzzled when Leon came in and he was the only person that sat at the bar. I go, where's all the other people going? Are they coming to the bar? He goes, nope, they're all recovered alcoholics and I'm the only one still doing it. And it's just, I'm gonna do it till the day I die. And I hated to hear that because three months later he died of liver poisoning. Oh mm -hmm. no. So, but you know, he was blessing me ways, you know, and, and I was blessed to meet him. You know, right. I think that, you know, we come across people in our lives, there's a reason, you know, there's a reason the good Lord puts us here, whether you think he does or not. And um, like I say, I never thought I'd be here 60 years old. Yeah. You know, yeah. all the crazy stuff and uh, racing that went on back in the day with drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I have, uh, you know, I've tested that water, but it's not worth it. Mm -mm. No. It's not worth it because it can, it can erase your career in, in, in a heartbeat. And I have so many friends I've, I've made, uh, you know, uh, just when I go around, hey, that's Reggie Murphy, man. He's, he's, the, he's the wonder bar of, of, of racing and, and marketing. And, and, you know, and another big thing, uh, a story that I helped Santa Claus get all of his sleighs ready at the end of the year with the Coca-Cola holiday caravan. These six trucks go around the United States and Coca-Cola pays back to the community of uh, getting a picture uh, instead of having to go to a mall and paying 20, 30 dollars. Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola gives back to the community by showing up at uh, Walmarts and or special events, um, uh, festivals, and you get a picture with Santa Claus and then they have, they have a code on the bottom of the picture that you can go to after 24 hours. And it has that picture animated. And you can send that animation uh, email to any of your family and friends. And so I do, I've been doing that since 09, helping Santa Claus get his sleighs ready to I go out on I that I don't tour. want it. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> got any Santa Claus stories? <laughs> oh, well, I got a few of those. No, but yeah, I mean, I did the activation for four years. That's great. And, but it, it took too much time at the end of the year coming off the, the racing season in October. And then that program started up in the first of November. So you couldn't come home. Santa Claus had you for uh, six weeks, seven weeks, because he needs help, you know, oh, yeah. making all the presents and all that That's stuff. Right. So, um, but it, that is a humbling experience for anybody to, uh, in my heart, I gave back and I'm still giving um, because I'm still involved with this program through Evolve Concepts. Chip Ganassi. Mm -hmm. Every time I've run into Chip Ganassi at the track, he has the time to talk to you. Yeah. Is that is that what he was like? To, I, I know, you know, I, I see these people in some real different situations when you're at the track and you're kind of behind the scenes and stuff like that but every time I've approached him and thanked him for what he he doesn't even know what he's done for certain students and stuff they, you know they just came to him for doesn't know where they came from or anything but appreciates them knows who they are um, you know he, he's always just been an approachable guy you know you don't go to anybody in the heat of the moment but 
when it, when you know when when he, things are calmed down. Yeah, he he uh, he reminds me a little bit of Gurney. He has that kind of reserve um, attitude. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the get mad attitude. It's like. Uh, you know, Dan would say after a race, if we had a bad race, he goes, don't worry. I don't want anybody to get down. We have another race coming up, so we need to get pumped up. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to do anything different. We're going to continue to just go at our, at our pace, and, and things will come. And sure enough, they did. You know, it was tough in the GTP day in the, in the beginning. We were blowing a lot of engines. Um, and... We got that resolved after, you know, eight months, six months. And um, it's just, it's the people like Dan and Chip make other people want to come and work with them. Make, and, and to this day, you know, Chip Ganassi still has a lot going on oh, yeah. with his uh, program, yeah. uh, you know. And um, he's just, like you say, he's very approachable until that time when... The race starts. That's right. So the race that's, ends, and you need to understand that exactly so around this. And that's what I have tried to uh, explain to some of these guys helping me out on the uh, logistics, motorsports logistics side, because they're, they're newbies, and I'm trying to bring new guys in to train them. And I said, there's times to talk to people, and there's times not to talk to people. When a guy's working on a car, you don't talk to him. When he's at lunch, you can talk to him. It's same thing with an engineer. When an engineer is out and he's setting up a car with the, the mechanics, don't go over and have a conversation or say something because he's going to look at you like you're stupid. And um, it's just there's times to talk to people and times not. But there, and, but he is approachable, just like Dan was. And I, like I say, I, you know, I was you know blessed to be able to not work directly with Chip. Uh, on the indie side, but indirectly with them using our chassis at Panos, you right. know, and and just um, just uh, there's no reason to get mad. Racing will racing will actually make you a, a real butthead if you want to complain about every little thing. You got to be better than those things. There's a little cheating going on, but you know. You just got to be smooth about it. Don't complain a lot. Then they might not find a lot. But if you're a complainer and you think you got all the money in the world, and both of them had money in the world, oh, yeah. you know, but they didn't act like it. You know, both of them very humble what they have. And uh, like I say, I'm just blessed to be able to work with them because that's the way I've treated a lot. Don't get mad about situations. Try to resolve it. You may not resolve it in an, in an hour or, or two hours or in a day, but you're making an effort to not make the same mistake. What would you say to a young person now that wants to get into the part of racing that you were into? Behind the scenes, the, the driving the rig, the parts, um, you know, I, I, everything that goes on. Like I say, first one there, last one gone. What I'd say is try it i met um at gurney's we had these guys that that would just come and camp out at the racetrack mm-hmm. and not get paid and they were mechanics that worked at skip barber but they wanted to be on a a, a pro team you know and travel and see the, the places that they were being able to they would actually on their nickel 
come out and camp. And this was multiple times we hired mechanics that did that because their ambition is there. The, the, the drive is there. The, the will is there. Don't give up on your dreams. If you got a dream to be in motorsports, there's all aspects of motorsports you can be in. The marketing, the promotions, the hospitality side, um, the putting tires on wheels. You know, we all got to have wheels to, um, and tires, uh, BBS, you know, there's places that they can start. And that's, I just, I think I had a better start in it because the racetrack was right behind the house. And my introduction to that was a lot closer. And I loved it. I mean, I didn't watch a lot of racing, but my hero, my, my mentor, and my first hero was my mother. She was a great educator and taught, taught us how to be, you know, by going at piano lessons, going to etiquette classes. I hated it. I complained about it, you know, and got, you know, in trouble, and, uh, you know, and sitting in my room uh, many times. But it t that's why I'm where I'm at now is because because I've had a, a, a great person that, that, to, to teach me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, like I say, I got four sisters. My mother is just on me the side. said, go. But my mother went with me. All the baseball, all the football, the band, you know. I guess I was, uh, what do you say, um, very uh, well not educated or educated, but, but you rounded out. Everything. Yeah, rounded, rounded, rounded out. Rounded, yeah. And so um, I am what I am because of her, but I am, I am what I am now because of, of me continue on to did not give up on, on my dreams, you know. Uh, I could have given up after, you know, after uh, the Panos deal. Oh, it comes, and, it comes and goes in yeah. racing. But when you're, when people see that you're doing the right thing, you don't even have to worry about calling people. or, or I've, I've been blessed not to have to look for a job mm -hmm. after my days of being at Gurney's and at Panos. I get a call a week. Somebody wanting me to come and help them out. And so just don't give up. And um, Well, speaking of that, people calling you to, to get you when they need someone to help out, we had to reschedule this podcast because we were going to do it the week that <laughs> Hurricane Ian hit Florida, but you couldn't make it because you decided what to you You drove a tractor trailer full of water down to Florida? Well, we actually, we work with Chick-fil-A. Uh -huh. So uh, we have a big um, tractor trailer that is a full kitchen for Chick-fil-A. Folds down, the sides of the trailer fold down into a full kitchen. So what we did, me and another gentleman took that down to, uh, to Florida mm -hmm. and posted it up. And so that people, the actual volunteers and the workers and anybody else, any of the people that were nearby could come by and get a sandwich. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm blessed to work with someone like Chick-fil-A, you know, that uh, that gives back to the community. That, that, oh, yeah. That looks after people. And it's just, it's like me. I mean, you know, 
if I can help, I'll be out there helping, you know. So, yeah, what an um, awesome opportunity that is. It is, it is. And um, we did that with uh, Denny's had a, a truck and trailer just like that that we did back uh, when the hurricane hit in uh, Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, you know, New Orleans. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's called karma, I think, also. I mean, I wanted to be here, but I don't know. I was just led another way. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, you know. And uh, two two quick questions before we before we let you go. Did you ever give Mama a ride in the big truck? You know what? I did not. But she would come to the races every year when I was with Gurney, because we raced at Road Atlanta. She would come down. I got her up in the tractor, but never took her for a ride. She didn't want to go for one. That she said. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, but no, um, uh, that was the other uh, blessing too that my family was able to come out and see what I do. Yeah, you know, and, and because you can talk about it all day long, but until they see and they go, "Oh God, I can't believe twenty-four hours we got to be here thirty-six or forty hours." Oh yeah, but that's just it, you know. It it, it just grew on me from when uh, that when Road Atlanta was built and hearing those Indy cars go around there and sports cars go around there. I'm like, man, how can I get into this? And I go, yeah, be a race car driver. And then Doc Bundy talked me out of it. He goes, <laughs> he goes, Reggie, make sure you want to be able to walk your rest of your life because there's a lot of race car drivers that are either walking weird or they ain't walking. Yeah. <laughs> so how can I be in racing? Cha-ching. Drive a transporter. There you go. What's next for Reggie? Uh, next for Reggie is I'm headed up to uh, work with Santa Claus to get all the sleighs ready to go out for holiday uh, Coca-Cola holiday caravan tour. Good for you. You wear it well. well thank you. Buddy. Thank you for all you've given to the sport. Uh, in my dealings with you, thank you for what you've given to the students. And thank you what you've given to the listeners today. You know, to to realize that, you know, it doesn't happen by magic. There's people behind the scenes, lots of them. And uh, you're you're welcome back anytime. Well, I'll be back. Don't you worry. At 40 years, I still got a lot of stories. I would think so. <laughs> Reggie Murphy. what What is your uh, official title? My official title with Evolve Concepts is Senior Production Manager and Motorsports Logistics Manager. Can you wow. spell all of them? Oh, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> I can spell evolve. Thank you. It's on your shirt. That's, so That's why I broke. <laughs> you have to watch it backwards. <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time to, to, to be with us here at Bud's Garage Overdrive. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you, thanks, Reggie. You guys are welcome. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me again. All right, I mentioned earlier about being at car shows recently, yep. and uh, when we were talking about pulley systems, you know something else that will really make your car pop at a car show? What? Update the dash. We oh, all yeah. hate to because it involves wiring and things mm-hmm. like that. But year one, the muscle car restoration folks have got analog stuff. They've got digital stuff now, Dakota Digital and things like that, that can really make your dash pop. And you can reconfigure your dashboard like you can do in some of the new cars. Change the ambient lighting, do all sorts of things like that. And make it, oh, yeah. And make kind it of fancy. modernized. And it'll fit into the, the dash pod that mm-hmm. you already have. You can actually buy a dash pod that's drilled out for uh, replacement analog style gauges. I prefer analog because that's just me. I like to have the yeah. oil pressure coming to the gauge instead of a sending unit. Right. Uh, but, the, you know, same with the water temp and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's that's just us knuckle draggers. They make some great dashes that are already wired. You just put them in plug and play. 
Wow. So that's, that's, a, that's a great, great thing. Now, if you want to get, you know, just uh, freshen up anything inside your car, and it's a classic muscle car, check out your one. Yeah, the, the muscle, muscle car, car experts. Yes, they are experts for sure. Perfect reaction times. Well, Tim, I think simply put, Reggie and people like him behind the scenes, as, as he pointed out, it's all about the people. Oh, yeah. It's all about getting along with the people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, at best, it's a traveling circus when you're with a, a race series. Sure. And you get to know who's who and how to deal with it. And uh, good advice for life. Oh, yeah. But he's going to come back and tell us some more trucking stories. Well, and that, that'll be the fun stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I rode with him to Indianapolis uh, for an IndyCar race up there. Uh, that's when I held the door open for Danica Patrick. Wow. My, Five seconds to fame in the media center. Yeah. She did say thanks. I said, ah, oh. good race. And that was Ooh. it. Yeah. And we all moved on with our lives. From mm-hmm. there. But you never washed that hand? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Moving on. You know, we talk about the price of education. Yeah. Uh, or the price of no education. Mm-hmm. You know, look at it either way. But when you go to a technical college, you're going into a facility that is getting you started for a career from day one. Right. You probably won't be, you know, assigned to a class in Egyptian history or such things. Mm -hmm. Ask me how I know. (laughs) Because I've been in both situations, you know, taking some classes that I thought, what am I doing here? Right. And we're just killing time. Mm -hmm. I want to get a career. I want to get out. I want to start work. Sure. You know, I'd started a job. A career job, and I want to move up the ladder. But that being said, you get to a technical college, the costs are way, way, way lower than a four-year school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so much better use of your money if you, if you want to. Obviously, if you want to be a brain surgeon, you go that direction, okay? But if you want to go into, you don't know what you want to go into, you know, do some exploring and get into get into industry or get into marketing or getting things through a technical college sure because the price is so much better there as an in-state resident out-state resident uh they have different grant programs they've got the hope scholarship the hope grant here in georgia and they've got other programs that they can help you out uh that are available you know across the board and you know in a year or two's time you're out there in a career Making money. Making money. Oh, yeah. And moving up the ladder. It's uh-huh. not about, you know, you're not going to come out a CEO. Right. But you're going to come out with the skill set to become a CEO at exactly. some point in time. So sure. we encourage you, as much as we talk about the different programs from time to time, go online, look at Lanier Technical College. They've got five locations here in Georgia, five mm-hmm. campuses. Um, and check it out. LanierTech.edu. Okay. I'm on it. Time to thank everybody that helps us here with the show. Bill Wilson trying to keep us under control. Jacob's, oh, yeah. uh, Jacob's Media, the studios that we work out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lanier Technical College, Concept One and Year One, the muscle car restoration folks. Concept One is the pulley system folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of you for listening. And next week's guest is a champion kart racer. He's been homeless. <laughs> he's, he's a food and hospitality person. And now he is CEO and owner of Atlanta Motorsports Park, one of the premier uh, country club uh, racetracks in the country. Jeremy Porter. He's going to be in here with us. And uh, he has got some stories to tell. And we were right there with him when they were 
digging the first hole. Wow. And it'll be a good thing. Let's not forget about Bud's Garage, the radio show on WDUN AM 515 FM 102.9. Local guests and their expertise, which you can transfer to your, your local situation and, uh, you know, and apply it appropriately. Right. Okay. Keep between the ditches. Shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here at Bud's Garage Overdrive. Have a great week. <laughs>